Hello and welcome to Ophthalmologist, the audio podcast channel dedicated to ophthalmology. We are a team at Ophthalmologist who strive to provide you audio talks on ophthalmology which are more practical and easily understandable, targeted at students and residents alike. These audios are in no way a replacement to your standard textbook. We strive to be factually correct, but to err is human. Keep us posted if you disagree with anything that has been said in these recordings. We would be happy to make amendments with due credits. Today we talk about a very interesting topic, accommodation. Let us try to crack this mystery here. First, we need to talk about some basics. The human eye has a crystalline lens which converges the rays coming from outside onto the retina to form an image which we then perceive. For this task, we know that there is a crystalline lens with a dioptric power. It is a positive power so that it can converge the rays. In real life, this power of the crystalline lens is about plus 20 diopters. With the whole assembly of the cornea, acus humor, lens and vitreous, a normal human eye is supposed to focus rays coming from infinity onto the retina, precisely at the fovea at a single point. This condition is known as emetropia. Look for the E here since an inability to do so is called emetropia with an A. Light coming from infinity is composed of parallel beam of rays, neither converging nor diverging. Here, the eye converges these parallel rays perfectly. So, do you always keep looking at the horizon? No. We read, write and stare at our smartphones. The light coming from the book that you hold is not parallel rays. They are divergent rays since they originate from a point and go all around radially, few of which will enter your eye to make you see the book. When a ray is already divergent, you require a higher power optical system to make it converge. It's like you require more ice to chill a hot drink. To focus a divergent beam, we need more power. This power we quantify in terms of diopters. A newborn has an amplitude of accommodation of around 10 to 15 diopters. This means a newborn can add up to 10 to 15 diopters to the optical system of their eye so as to focus divergent rays. This amplitude undergoes a gradual reduction as a part of the aging process and finally lose it all by around 60 years. This is called presbyopia. We come to some lateral talk. Most of the refraction in the eye takes place at the air-tear film interface on the anterior surface of the cornea, giving about 35 to 40 diopters out of the approximate total of 58 diopters of the eye. What happens when we go diving? We no longer have this interface but have the water cornea interface. The refractive index is not much different so gives a power of only 5 diopters. So, Underwater, we all become hyperopic. Now think, have you seen birds who dive, ducks, swans and their likes? How do they manage? These wonderful birds utilize their accommodation to see underwater. Their range of accommodation is 70 to 80 diopters. 
Now back to business. To understand accommodation better, we need to understand about depth of field. Depth of field is a range of distance. The range where the eye cannot perceive a change in the image. Practically speaking, it is a small distance that cannot be perceived by the viewer. Depth of field is influenced by various factors, primarily being the pupillary aperture. With a nearly pinpoint pupil, the range that is the depth of field is larger. Keep a pinhole in front of your eye and it is then difficult to estimate the distance. Basically, that's the range of field. So when we measure the amplitude of accommodation subjectively, the depth of field is also included. In normal resting conditions with mesopic pupil, the depth of field is 1 to 2 diopters. So when we measure accommodation subjectively in a person with complete loss of accommodation, the depth of field will give you a false result of 1 to 2 diopters. This false accommodation is termed as pseudo-accommodation. As per textbooks, accommodation is defined as dynamic optical change in the dioptric power of the eye to enable a change in the pinpoint focus from far to near objects. This is primarily mediated through changes in the curvatures of the lens. First, let us take a look at the optical components of the eye and see which of these components can give this additional refractory power. First, the cornea. The cornea is pliable about its curvature but over a long time. The curvature and thickness is where its refractory power lies. These parameters cannot be changed by the time you look at the book within seconds. After cornea, the aqueous humor also has fixed refractory properties. So does vitreous. The crystalline lens is the only component that can mold itself to gain or lose its refractory power. The lens is like a thick gel packed in a transparent pouch. A very elastic pouch which is called the lens capsule. This capsule is thicker anteriorly and thin posteriorly. The posterior surface is more curved than the anterior in its resting state. The capsule is rich in elastin. When removed from the zonular attachments, the anterior and posterior surface of the lens becomes more curved since it is the natural resting position of these capsules. The human lens in its free form is more globular in shape. This is the state in which the lens has the highest refractory power, the state of no zonular tension, the state of maximal accommodation. Hence, it is a capsule of the lens that gives it the force to get accommodated. So it must be the lens that changes the refractory power by changing its shape, but the crystalline lens doesn't have any contractile element, but only elastic elements. Then how? Or more precisely, what makes it change its shape? This is where the ciliary apparatus comes to play. In the eye, there is a choroid which is sandwiched between the sclera and the retina. This choroid continues anteriorly to transform to the ciliary body which further reaches anteriorly to form the iris. Developmentally, this structure has the same origin, hence collectively termed uvea. The ciliary body is in two parts, 
The part that meets the choroid is termed pars plana, since it's a plane. And the part meeting the iris is known as pars plicata, since it's plicated. Plicated meaning folded. Since the globe is round, the anterior extent of the choroid will look like a circle when viewed from the front. The pars plana is attached all around it like a frill and further anteriorly is the pars plicata. Then the uvea fold inwards at 90 degrees to form the iris. The main mass of the ciliary body lies in the pars plicata. It is bound externally by sclera. In cross-section, the ciliary body is triangular in shape. The first angle pointing anteriorly to the root of the iris to the scleral spur. The second angle is pointed posteriorly to the choroid. The third angle points inside of the globe in the lenticular plane. At this blunted and plicated angle lies the attachments of multiple zonules which hold the human crystalline lens. In the similar fashion, there lies a muscle in the ciliary body which is called the ciliary muscle. The ciliary muscle also has a triangular cross-section. Anterior tendon insert into the scleral spur posterior to the choroid stroma. Ciliary muscle is a smooth muscle and the innervation is parasympathetic causing contraction mediated by M3 muscarinic receptors. Interesting aspect is that microscopically it resembles the striated muscle. This modification of structure helps in rapid actions which is more of a skeletal muscle property. The ciliary muscle have three groups of fibre. Firstly, the exterior most longitudinal fibres attaching to choroid stroma and scleral spur. Secondly, the middle radial or Y fibres whose tail of the Y originate from the scleral spur anteriorly while the arms merge into the third group of fibre. The third group of fibre being the equatorial or circular muscle. These equatorial muscle fibres run concentric to the lens equator. These equatorial muscles are also known as Mueller's muscle. Isn't the name a duplication? Now you know two Mueller's muscles in the eye. The contraction pattern during accommodation needs to be well understood. Firstly, the longitudinal fibres contract. These tighten the scleral spur to the choroid giving a firm base for other muscles. Then the radial fibres contract which moves the lens anterior since these fibres don't go all the way till choroid. Then the third and innermost fibres contract. The contraction of the innermost fibres leads to a smaller lenticular aperture. A smaller lenticular aperture will lead to relaxing of the zonules. This releases the resting zonular tension on the lens capsule allowing the accommodative process. Before we describe the full pathway and mechanism of accommodation, there is one more thing that we need to dwell upon. It's the near reflex, also known as the accommodative triad. In most places, accommodation and near reflex are used interchangeably. They are not. Accommodation is just a part of near reflex. Near reflex is a set of three changes that occur on the binocular optics of the eye when we look at near target from distant 
fixation. The first change of course is accommodation, second being convergence and third being pupillary constriction. Accommodation gives the additional power to focus near. Pupillary constriction gives a large depth of field and convergence gives binocularity. So we thread the needle. The normal physiological stimulus to accommodate is at the cortial or subcortial level. In the normal resting state, we have a lead accommodation of about one diopter. This is due to the resting tone of ciliary muscles. When we see a blur or look at near or converge, the entire accommodation cascade starts. The center for accommodation is thought to be Edinger-Westphal nucleus. There are parasympathetic outflow from Edinger-Westphal nucleus, which traverse through the post-ganglionic ciliary nerves. These nerves innovate the iris as well as the ciliary muscle. Simultaneous innovation. Now you know how two of the components in near reflex work. With these ciliary parasympathetic nerves stimulated, all the three muscle fibers in the ciliary muscles start to contract. The longitudinal fiber lay the anchor by forming a tight bridge between the choroid and the scleral spur. The radial Y fibers moves the lens anteriorly and the Muller's muscle fibers contract around the lens. With the circumlentular fibers contracting, the zonules becomes lax. The elastic forces of the anterior and posterior capsule predominates. This causes the crystalline lens to become more globular. This leads to an increase in the anterior and posterior curvature, resulting in a higher dioptric power. When the Edinger-Westphal nucleus is stimulated for accommodation, it sends lateral impulses to the nucleus of cranial nerves 3, 4 and 6. Here is where the convergence is coupled with accommodation. Also, the coupling of pupillary reflex of the other eye. Stimulation of accommodation can be done optically, pharmacologically or by convergence. Stimulation of convergence optically is done by push-up test. Here, the patient is first corrected for distance and the near point is measured with a near vision chart. The reciprocal of the near point expressed in meters is dioptric measure of accommodation. In this testing, the depth of field comes to play. Also, convergence and pupillary constriction is stimulated. Accommodation is also stimulated by first correcting for distance followed by addition of minus lenses. The added minus lenses till which the patient retains his best corrected vision is the measure of his accommodation. Pharmacologically, accommodation is stimulated by muscarinic cholinergic agonists like pilocarpin. Since the effect is local, the pupillary constriction is a unilateral phenomenon and the convergence part of neoreflex is absent. Convergence can be blocked by cycloplegics like cyclopentylate, atropin, etc. This is brought about by relaxing the ciliary muscles. The pharmacological stimulus is the strongest of all stimuli in terms of amplitude of accommodation, lost or gained, since they act locally overcoming the resting tone of the antagonists. Accommodation can also be stimulated 
by stimulating convergence using prisms. So, we have discussed the normal state. Let's look into the clinical implication. As discussed earlier, the amplitude of convergence decreases with age. A loss of ability to accommodate completely is called as presbyopia. Beware when you measure. The one diopter of depth of field will still show up as one diopter amplitude of accommodation, which is zero. Presbyopia is presently accepted as an age-related change occurring in the lens capsule, which makes it less elastic. Here, in spite of ciliary muscles contracting and zonules getting weaker, the lens doesn't become thick. The action of the ciliary muscles are, however, intact. When the lens fails to provide the additional dioptric power by accommodation, what do we do? We provide that additional power in the form of plus spectacles. The plus power added will depend on the residual accommodation the patient has retained. Various research is underway to utilize the functioning ciliary muscles of a presbyopic patient and provide an accommodating intraocular lens post-cataract surgery. It would be a great milestone if it could be achieved. Talking about accommodation, we have reached the end of today's episode. Hope you have enjoyed this episode. That's all for now. It's Team of the Cast signing off. Do keep us updated on our email offthecast@gmail.com or on our website www.offthecast.com with your comments, feedbacks and demands. Subscribe to us on all leading podcast players by searching for Off the Cast and thank you for being with us and giving your valuable time. Goodbye and Godspeed.